Hey guys, it's Naya. Welcome back to another episode of my podcast. Hope your week is going well. Hope your day is going well and hope studying is going well. Today I wanted to cover, um, I had a patient recently who his, the primary cause of his sepsis that he came in for was, um, cholecystitis and he had all of these gallstones in there that were causing infection and inflammation. And so it caused him to go into septic shock essentially. So he came to the ICU and I just thought I'd go and review, um, acute cholecystitis. And so this is basically it's associated or 90% of the cases of, um, uh, cholecystitis are associated with obstruction of the cystic duct by gallstones. And we had, I had um, taken him down to get an ERCP performed. And there were so many stones in there that they had to evacuate and disintegrate that it took so long um, for the procedure to take place. I have not seen that many stones in a gallbladder. Uh, mind you, I don't have a lot of patients who have <laughs> cholecystitis and have to go and get the stones out. So, speaking from my naive experience, those were the most stones that I have seen um, in my career yet. There might be other patients who have more, but he had almost like a near-complete, um, what's the word, near-complete near obstruction of his gallbladder because it was so full of so many stones. So... Acute cholecystitis can occur without gallstones. This is a calculus cholecystitis. This accounts for about 5 to 14% of cases. Um, it occurs in critically ill patients, especially people with multiple traumas um, or acute non-biliary illness. Risk factors include severe trauma, severe burns, major surgery, long-term fasting, um, total parenteral nutrition, sepsis, diabetes mellitus, atherosclerotic disease, um, systemic vasculitis, acute renal failure, and immunocompromised individuals. Infectious causes of acalculus um, cholecystitis have been reported to be either opportunistic infections in patients who have HIV and AIDS, so their immune system is already compromised, so bugs that wouldn't necessarily put their average person with a healthy immune system into a sepsis situation would put these individuals in a sepsis situation. Um, there's also salmonella enteritis in, um, that has been reported as a cause for um, infectious causes of um, acalculus cholecystitis, so um, inflammation without stones in the gallbladder. And then there's also Epstein-Barr virus has also been reported as one of the causes of those agents. And then, of course, in critically ill patients. So the pathogenesis basically is the obstruction of the cystic duct, results in inflammation. Um, and then there's also lithogenic bile and cystic duct occlusion appears to be necessary for induction of acute cholecystitis. So this is based on testing in animals. Gallstones alone do not result in acute gallbladder inflammation. Acute cholecystitis develops shortly after cystic duct occlusion in gallbladders um, containing cholesterol-saturated bile. Um, what else? So prolonged impact. So gallbladder becomes tense, it becomes reddened, the wall thickens, 
Um, you get the paracholecystic fluid that develops. You get secondary infection that develops typically with any um, of the enterobacterial intercocci, um, anaerobes, and klebsiella. The wall of the gallbladder may undergo necrosis and it may get gangrenous. This is called gangrenous cholecystitis. Superinfection with gas-forming organism may lead to emphysematous cholecystitis. This is more p- common in patients who have diabetes or who are immunocompromised or, immunos- or have immunosuppression. Pathogenesis of um, acalculus cholecystitis may include increased intraluminal gallbladder pressure due to um, ampullary edema and increased bile viscosity. Prolonged abscess or not abscess, prolonged absence, absence. There we go. We got the word of oral feeding, decreased um, gallbladder contraction, leading to biliary stasis. Gallbladder wall ischemia, which is a low flow state due to systemic factors such as fever, dehydration, heart failure, or any other local factors that could contribute to that. Ooh, the weather is hot today. I'm sitting in the car, so I'm like slightly sweating. Okay, so history and physical. So the main concerns that the patient might complain of is right upper quadrant or epigastric abdominal pain. They might have some anorexia. They could have a fever. They could have nausea and vomiting. Um, there might be a change in their mental status um, if they are elderly. And then history of present illness. So acute um, cholecystitis usually begins with attack of um, biliary colic which is characterized by severe, episodic, epigastric, or right upper quadrant um, pain. Often this radiates to the back. Frequently this follows food intake and the onset is often at night, typically accompanied by nausea and vomiting. So pain of acute cholecystitis persists, localizes to the right upper quadrant or to the mid-epigastrum. Um, there's what's called the Chericot Triad. This is intermittent fever and chills, right upper quadrant pain, and jaundice. So I'll repeat that again. The Chericot Triad. They get intermittent fever and chills. They get right upper quadrant pain, and they get jaundice. Um, there's also the Reynolds um, Pentad, suggests obstructive cholegitis. With this is intermittent fever, chills, they get the right upper quadrant pain, they get the jaundice, they might have mental status changes, they could get hypertension. Um, the last two things have been characterized as Longmere's classification and suggest acute obstructive, supportive of cholangitis. So your physical, obviously you're looking for fever, for skin you're looking for frank jaundice, which is uncommon in absence of complications. In the abdomen, you're looking for tenderness, guarding of the right upper quadrant when you're pressing and palpating. You could sometimes palpate a mass, maybe present after 24 hours. And then Murphy's sign is arrest of inspiration while the physician palpates the patient's gallbladder during deep inspiration. So like if they take like a deep inhale and then as the doctor is um, literally pressing into that um, part of their abdomen, they literally just stop breathing like they go a little bit apneic basically holding their breath because just like <gasps> something like that you know so 
Um, Murphy sign may be diagnostic um, when present. High, it's very specific. Um, it has high specificity, but it cannot be reliably used to detect acute cholecystitis due to low sensitivity. Um, what else do we have? The patient might get an ileus. This is absent or diminished bowel sounds due to prolonged intra-abdominal inflammation. This may be caused by other processes um, than gallbladders or acute cholecystitis. Um, peritoneal signs may indicate may indicate gallbladder perforation. And then in the back, there's something called the bow sign. This is originally described as point and uh, point tenderness in area right of the 12th to or the 10th to 12th thoracic vertebrae um, more recently described as hyperesthesia to light touch in right upper quadrant or infrascapular area so one study of 107 patients having surgery for galls stones, and then 7% had hyperesthesia in upper abdomen or right infrascapular region. Um, but in, I guess it was never convincingly demonstrated, so it's not the best way to diagnose. But it's something you could use as part of your diagnosis. But again, physicians are doing this full head-to-toe. Us as nursing, we are still doing our um, head-to-toe, but it's not as in-depth as when the physician goes to assess the patient. So diagnostic criteria. Symptoms suggesting acute cholecystitis include... My water got warm. Um, a combination of fever with history of several hours of severe right upper quadrant pain and... Um, Sign of pain and tenderness in the same area when it is palpated. This is Murphy's sign. Other diagnostic criteria um, could be local signs of inflammation, of course, include Murphy's sign, so tenderness and pain when it gets palpated, and then right upper quadrant mass, pain or tenderness, and then systemic signs of inflammation will include fever, elevated white um blood cell count, elevated C-reactive protein, um, and then definite diagnosis requires meeting criteria for suspected diagnosis plus imaging findings, um, characteristics of acute cholecystitis. So they might do ultrasounds. They will find if the patient has cholecystitis, enlarged gallbladder, gallbladder wall thickening, gallbladder stones, um, debris echo, uh, dilated common bile duct, pericholecystic um, cystic fluid, and then another um, ultrasound, ultrasound graphic Murphy sign, pain when gallbladder is pressed with the um, probe. And then um, hepatobiliary scintigraphy is the absence of gallbladder filling within 60 minutes when they're doing that. And then they might do a CT. So the CT might find gallbladder distension, pericholecystic fat stranding, gallbladder wall thickening, um, subserosal edema, mucosal enhancement, transient focal um, enhancement of the liver that is adjacent to the gallbladder, pericholecystic fluid collection, pericholecystic abscess, gas collection in the gallbladder, and then of course an MRI 
could be recommended as a second choice for acute cholecystitis diagnosis and common bile duct evaluation if ultrasound results are not definitive. Moving on, we have the severity classification of cholecystitis. So the Tokyo Guideline Severity Grading for Acute Cholecystitis. So there's the mild, which is grade one, acute cholecystitis um, criteria. Mild gallbladder inflammation, but no organ dysfunction, not meeting criteria for moderate or severe acute cholecystitis. Grade 2, which is moderate acute cholecystitis, warranting immediate cholecystectomy or biliary drainage. So they either put in a drain or they remove. If more inflammation, um, if more infl inflammation based on any of, so if they get um, inflammation that is compounded by elevated white blood cells count, if they get palpable tenderness in the right upper quadrant, if the duration of their complaint has been greater than 72 hours, they get marked local inflammation, including biliary peritonitis, they get pericholecystic um, abscess, they get hepatic abscess, they get gangrenous um, cholecystitis, and um, emphysematous um, cholecystitis. So if any of those things are present, they are a moderate-grade acute cholecystitis. Severe cholecystitis. Um, this is a grade three. So this um, is warranting intensive care admission, essentially, because at this point, there may be organ dysfunction based on hypotension, which requires um, vasopressor support. Um, and then they might have decreased level of consciousness, ratio of partial pressure of um, arterial oxygen to fraction of inspired. Um, so their PF ratio basically is less than 300. They might get oliguria, creatinine levels will rise, elevated prothrombin time with INR greater than 1.5, and platelet count might drop. So differential diagnosis. So how can you tell that acute cholecystitis? Well, the doctor has to work that out. They have to be able to look at other diseases that might cause a similar pain for the patient. So gastrointestinal causes of upper abdominal pain include peptic ulcer disease, functional dyspepsia, acute um, pancreatitis, irritable bowel syndrome, acute hepatitis, including autoimmune hepatitis, hepatitis A virus, um, infection, chronic hepatitis B virus, infection, biliary um, dyskinesia, um, and then there's the Fitz-Hugh-Curtis syndrome. So non-gastrointestinal causes um, could be acute uh, pyelonephritis, pneumonia on the right side, so they're trying to exclude these diagnoses before um, you confirm that for sure it's the gallbladder. Sickle cell disease with acute painful crisis, acute coronary syndrome, and ST elevation, uh, myocardial infarction, herpes, zoister, shingles before eruption or a eruption of the vesicles, um, referred pain from reticulopathy, and then or radiculopathy, pericarditis, hematoma. You have to rule that out. So testing overview, blood test to assess the severity of illness. They will run a complete CBC, bilirubin, C-reactive protein, BUN, electrolytes, creatinine, prothrombin with INR, um, arterial blood gas, lactate, 
blood tests which may identify um diseases or other complications present um so they will do the um amylase and lipase and then they'll do alt ast and alkaline phos phosphatase abdominal ultrasound as i mentioned can be done mri will be done or can be done ct can be done um what else can i say for you here we already talked about the ultrasound and we talked about lab. Okay. Let's move on to management, okay? Let me hydrate here. Management. So initial medical uh, management includes nothing by mouth, IV fluids, electrolyte corrections if present, antibiotics, and analgesics for pain. So antibiotics recommended if suspected, although the physicians will um, do the antibiotic prescription so if, if you're a nursing you don't have to worry about which antibiotics they need to be on because the physician will doing that will be doing that um what else so for sometimes they start with broad spectrum sometimes they don't start with broad spectrum depending on what they find when they send um their labs so let's see what else i can tell you so basically for um, different grades of the um, cholecystitis, like acute, moderate, severe, they'll prescribe um, antibiotics based on those therapy. And then the other um, interventions, of course, besides antibiotic, is that they would do um, the surgical procedures. So they could put in a drain to try to drain some of that pus and fluid collection that's around there, or they could also send them for ERCP and actually get the stones if they have a lot of stones in there and evacuate them by disintegrating them with that procedure. And then of course they always have the choice of, um, if this patient is stable enough, um, offering them like they'll consult surgery. And then of course, surgery would come and speak to the patient and explain the benefits and the risk of the procedure and why it needs to be performed. And then, um, after that, the patient has, information that they can make informed decisions or if they are in the ICU and they're intubated and they're sedated um, because of how ill they are, the um, surgeons will be talking to the family and explaining um, why the procedure will be important, what type of um, risk and benefits the patient might uh, have. And then from that point on, the family will make the decision for the patient if they should go forward with the procedure based on the recommendations by the surgery team. So, in terms of um, mild to moderate community-acquired acute cholecystitis, physician might consider antibiotic therapy with cefazolin, uh, ceftriaxone, and then for severe or healthcare-associated acute cholecystitis, they would be given a broad-spectrum antibiotic like metronidazole plus a beta-lactam, um, so cefrofloxin, levofloxin, um, what else? And then a monotherapy with meropenem and the other penems or, um, peptazone. And then they could consider discontinuing antibiotics within four, um, within 24 hours after cholecystectomy. So once they remove the gallbladder, um, in most cases, if the patient continues to improve, they can, um, 
discontinue the antibiotic or if appropriate and sepsis persists they can continue um, antibiotic therapy perform cholecystectomy within 72 hours and mild acute cholecystitis which is a strong recommendation and then although rare if patients develop severe sepsis secondary to cholecystitis treatment becomes more urgent obviously either in the form of an emergent cholecystectomy for patients that are stable for surgery or they obviously put in that tube um, to try to drain the gallbladder while the patient recovers in the ICU and then once the patient's more stable then they'll revisit when they can safely perform that surgery and reduce their risk of complications. All right so that is it about cholecystitis. Again, um, I got this information from Dynamed. Feel free if your hospital gives you access to this resource. Mostly physicians use it, but I find it really helpful because it goes um, in really deep detail about each disease process and the management and the ways that we basically walk through it to narrow down the diagnosis. I find it helpful. So if you have access to the resource, I find it a really good uh, resource to use. So hopefully this helped in your studies. And I just want to say this is all for um, educational purposes. This is not meant to be um, any medical advice. So always, always, always um, speak to your provider because they will be specific to you and your treatment plan will be specialized to um, how your physician knows you and all the information that they are privy to. So never take any medical advice from my podcast, but you can use it, you know, as study purposes only. So I hope you guys enjoyed that episode and I will see you in the next one. Bye now.